Hope you're well in this brisk morning. Uh, it's great to have you here along with Tim. Uh, if, you're, if you're new here, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name's Matt, and uh, I'm really glad that you've joined us this morning. Um, I'm going to begin with prayer, but uh, we are going to be in, uh, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, so you can turn there if you want. We'll have the verses on the screen still, uh, but uh, let me pray for us as we get into uh, the Word of God. Uh, Lord God, we are thankful for this time. I'm always thankful, God, that we can gather here freely. Um, Lord, we can, we can gather in person. We can gather online. Uh, God, I pray that this would be a really fruitful time. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, especially on this day, Lord, as we are looking uh, to, the, to the final day, Lord, the day of judgment. I pray, God, that uh, we, would, we would find great hope and peace in the truths that are communicated to us uh, through your word. I pray, God, in spite of my own sin, you would uh, use me to be helpful, uh, Lord, to build us up as a church. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts, uh, open our minds, God, that we would draw nearer to you. And so, uh, so be with us now, Lord, and, uh, and help us to, to understand you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, uh, as I just uh, prayed, we're going to be looking at, um, at the final judgment today, um, our sermon series, if you're, if you're new here with us, has really been looking at uh, the end. We've, we've called it uh, the end of the beginning, and uh, we're in week seven. So up to this point, uh, you may have felt at certain points along the way uh, kind, of, kind of stretched, uh, especially in the last few sermons. We've covered a lot of ground, a lot of areas that are difficult for us to grasp kind of in our humanity. Uh, there's more than once that my kids kind of after on a Sunday morning have come and said, you know, Dad, I don't really understand what is going on. And I would say, I get it. I get it. There's things that uh, it's difficult for us to grasp that are, that are cosmic in scale, uh, dealing with the nature of God and, and what he is going to do, trying to grasp it is, is difficult. But I'd remind you that uh, really the point of this series is to look at those things which we know for sure. And there are so many things that we can have great certainty about and understand with absolute clarity. Uh, for example, I mean, we know that there's an end coming. That's important to know because it means that there will be an end one day to the, to the evil, to the corruption in the world. Uh, we know that there's tribulation now, but we also have seen really clearly Jesus is with us in those struggles. We've also seen that Jesus is returning. He is coming back. Not uh, this time as a child, meek and mild, but as a victorious king. Uh, coming to to uh, show the victory that he's already had over evil by doing away with it completely. And today we're going to see that uh, on that day when Jesus returns, there will also be a time of judgment. And Jesus will be the final judge of humanity. The Bible is very clear about what will happen on that day, about what it reveals, us, uh, reveals to us about God, and about what it means for us as human beings. So we're going to look at the, the sort of the main text where we see this. Uh, as I said, Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. And then we're going to kind of pull it apart. Uh, now, uh, remember, this is a revelation given to the Apostle John from Jesus. And he's describing all the way through Revelation things that he sees, visions that he sees. And so here's how this one goes. Verse 11, John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So we'll stop there. So obviously another kind of cosmic scene uh, of great importance. Uh, Our key question for this morning, we kind of have a key question each uh, Sunday, is what does the final judgment mean? And I'm going to give you the answer in three words, one at a time. Uh, The first word is this, the final judgment means justice. Justice. Uh, It's pretty clear, even just from a first reading of this text, that this is kind of a courtroom scene. And that there are people standing before a throne of judgment. In fact, this is the final courtroom scene where all of the dead, uh, we see there, uh, those who've died, who are waiting in the intermediary place. We talked about that a a number of Sundays ago. Uh, When we die, our bodies go into the ground, of course. Our souls either go to Hades or to heaven. And now they're brought back together. The sea give up the dead. The earth give up the dead. And and we are all standing before this, this throne of judgment. And what this judgment means is that in the end, justice will be served. That there will be absolute, perfect justice for all of humanity. Now, uh, this is important because right now, I think we'd agree that there is, there is not perfect justice. In, fr- in fact, right now, our, our lives and our world are filled with injustice. There are wrongs in our lives that never seem to be made right. There are crimes in our community that are, that are never rightly punished or prosecuted. There's abuse. There's abuse in the lives of those that we know and, and it's never held to account. I mean, there are many parts of the world where the entire judicial system is broken and corrupt, there's no hope of justice, but even here in Canada, even here there are significant gaps in our ability to administer justice. And as I was preparing for this message, there was a case that I noticed in the news that kind of got my attention. I think it speaks to this. Uh, You may have heard of this. This is the case of Christine Jessup. Uh, In 1984, uh, she's a nine-year-old girl. You see a, a picture of her there. And uh, her mom came home uh, and looked for her after school, and she was not in the house. Her backpack was there, but, but she was not. And what ensued was a, was a search for Christine that took months and months. Th- three months later, uh, sadly, they found her. They found her body. She'd been molested. She'd been killed. And within a short amount of time, uh, they arrested someone for it. His name was Guy Paul Morin. Uh, he was a neighbor. They arrested him, and over the next seven years, there were two trials that finally convicted Guy Paul Morn of, of Christine's murder, and he went to jail in 1992. But in 1995, uh, through DNA evidence, uh, they proved that Guy Paul Morn was innocent. He, he was not the one who had perpetrated this crime. In fact, he received $1.2 million in a wrongful uh, conviction uh, payout. So at that moment, in 1995, this case went cold. Christine's family was left searching for answers, didn't know what had happened to their daughter until, until this year, when investigators used a new genetic DNA techniques to prove conclusively who was responsible for Christine's death, and it was another neighbor. His name was Calvin Hoover. Uh, he was a neighbor and friend of the family, and uh, he had committed suicide about five years ago. So here's what the Toronto police chief had to say about this when they made this announcement. You'll see him and then the picture of Calvin Hoover in the background. The police chief said, if he were alive today, the Toronto Police Service would arrest Calvin Hoover for the murder of Christine Jessup. He said, there are no winners in this announcement. There's no reason to celebrate. It does, however, allow us to take a major step forward in our efforts to bring justice to Christine's family. You see there the word, justice. 
because that's what this is about. Right? Christine is gone. Um, she can't be brought back. What they can do is, is seek to bring justice for the family because with justice, uh, there comes a sense of peace. That's really what her family wants. In fact, the interviews they were having with them, uh, you know, finally knowing who was responsible, there was a greater sense of peace for them, an answer to the questions that were always going around in their mind. So justice and peace always go together, but clearly, clearly our justice system is limited in its ability to bring justice fully and completely. Now, I'm not sharing this like to criticize our justice system. We have a great justice system. We have thousands of men and women across the country who are seeking to, to arrest criminals, prosecute them, have them convicted, have them go and be you know, car- incarcerated for their crimes. We have a great justice system, but I just share this to say that even, even with our best efforts, justice is rarely served fully and completely, even in a country like Canada, especially in other parts of the world, where again, the judicial systems are broken, uh, corruption reigns, where there's all sorts of crimes against humanity that run rampant and there's no one to hold them to account, all of that leaves a gaping hole in the hearts of those who are suffering injustice, that those who are enduring those wrongs and want someone to do something about it. And they wonder, will, will anything ever happen? And the truth that we see in our text today is that indeed, yes, someone will do something. That gaping hole of injustice will be closed on the day of final judgment. There will, in fact in the end, be a perfect judicial system, perfect justice. And in our text, we see the different components of it. So look, let's look a little bit uh, more detail. Verse 11, uh, we see here that the perfect judge reigns over this court. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Now the throne itself conveys authority. The, the color of white um, conveys purity. There's no corruption here. And even though it doesn't say the name of Jesus, uh, we know that this is Jesus. Uh, in fact, there's other parts of the Bible that say really clearly, like this is Jesus seated on the throne. Uh, John 5, 27 and 29 says, and, and he, the father, has given him Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So this is like the supreme of supreme courts. Jesus has all the authority, all the wisdom needed to execute perfect justice, and that's exactly what he will do. And what we also see is that um, there's a perfect means of gathering evidence. Look at verse uh, 12. John says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. So this is uh, the beginning of what I would say is the good news, bad news of this final judgment. It's good news because here we see uh, this, this evidence gap is closed. I mean, it's one of the biggest frustrations for those in the, in the justice system these days is that it's hard to get enough evidence to prosecute crimes. Sometimes it's hard to get enough evidence to know who's guilty. But then even when you know who's guilty, a lot of times you don't have enough evidence to build a case. But what we see on the day of final judgment is that there is perfectly accurate evidence that is given. And it's given here, it's figured in the form of a book. I'm not sure if it'll actually be a book, but, but it's a record. It's a record of our lives. Uh, kind of like a biography. I'm not sure if you like biographies. I really like biographies. Uh, even a good biography, though, there's, I mean, there are gaps, right? Someone who's a really good researcher will research 
someone completely, they'll interview people who know them, eyewitnesses, do all the historical research, and they can put together a pretty good picture of someone's life. But there's always gaps. But in this case, there's no gaps. I mean, this is, this is a biography written from like an omniscient point of view. You, you probably know what that is. All of us do because most of the novels we read are written from an omniscient point of view. They tell us not just what the character did, but why they did it, what they're thinking about at the time, the motivation, everything that's going on inside. That's, that's the kind of biography it will be for each one of us. It will reveal everything about our lives, our motivations, secret desires, unknown thoughts. Everything will be exposed completely. There will be no questioning of the evidence. And this is very, very good for justice. This is very good because, again, there are people all over the world who are crying out and saying, when will someone take notice of what has happened? When will there be justice for all that I'm enduring? In fact, I heard another story uh, recently about a, a longing for justice. This one uh, is on a much grander scale. It takes place in Spain at a national monument called the Valley of the Fallen. You can see a picture of it there. It looks like you know, every other impressive European monument. It's grand. It's impressive. It's in a picturesque spot, something that the tourists would love to go and visit. But this monument was built by Spain's brutal dictator, Francisco Franco. And he built it to honor himself, honor his power, but also it became the place where he buried all of the bodies of the people that opposed him during his reign. So there are 33,000 bodies buried at this monument. And then he buried himself there to kind of solidify his um, presence in Spain to the future. Well, they finally, they finally removed his body, but all of the other bodies since Franco's death, the families have been petitioning the courts and saying, look, we, we want to have closure for what happened to our, to our father, to our son, to our mothers. We, we want to we go and bury them in the family plot. We want to have some justice to what's been done. We don't want them buried in this monument to fascism. But it's very hard to do this because there's thousands of bodies all mixed together. Experts have said the feasibility of trying to exhume these bodies and give them back to, the, to their loved ones is, is near impossible, which means that everyone there in Spain who endured this is still longing for justice. And what hope, what hope do they have? Franco's dead. They, they can't have access to their loved one. I mean, there are so many instances like this around the world where someone is left saying, what, what hope do I have for justice? And by that, what they really mean is, what hope do I have for peace? What peace can I have if this kind of thing goes on in the world and no one is ever going to be able to do anything about it? What the Bible tells us is that someone will do something about it. In the end, everyone will be held to account. Franco all the members of his death squads, everything will be revealed. Every single name of the people that they killed, they will be held to account. There will be justice, complete, thorough justice on the final day because it is a perfect court with a perfect judge and because everything is revealed. This tells us that our God is a God of justice and it should bring us peace to know that right now, even in the small scale things of our lives, things that weigh on our hearts deeply, things that we just don't feel like anyone can ever do anything about. What God is telling us is he knows about it and he will. He will hold all wrongdoers to account for what they've done. This is the good news of justice. It's meant to bring us hope. It should bring us hope and peace even here, even now. 
But there's bad news too, in a sense, here for us. Because it's, it's not just the worst of humanity that will be exposed. Everyone will be exposed. Just think about that for a moment. I mean, the, everyone's going to have a book. And there will be good things in the book. There's a lot of good things that we do, especially as Christians. Ways that we exercise our faith. Ways that we honor God. But the truth of the matter is that all of our wrongs will be cataloged in perfect accuracy. Which means, it means that all the effort and energy that we've put into portraying ourselves as better than we are, you know what I mean? It's going to go out the window really quick. All of the ways that we've tried to portray ourselves as less selfish than we are, less petty, less difficult, less spiteful, tried to show everyone how we're more generous and more gracious than we really are, all of, all of that will be exposed. People will see it for what it is. It, it's a sham. It's a delusion. It's, it's a deception. Jesus warned us that this day was coming. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, he says, he says this, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. See, what this is saying is, look, there are things that we think we will take to our grave. There are things that we think that no one will ever know about us. And yet what Jesus is saying is, look, God knows now and in the end, everyone will know. Which is yet another reason for us to take, take seriously the call to confess and come clean right now. I mean, I mean when we really think about what is going to happen on that day, it should compel us right now to seek the forgiveness of God, to seek the forgiveness of others, to not keep going under this false idea that somehow what's in the dark will stay in the dark. It won't. It will be, all will be brought to light. It's so much better here and now to, to try to make peace where we can, to seek forgiveness while we can. Because once everything is revealed, God will bring perfect judgment and perfect sentencing. That's what we see uh, in verse 12. Again, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So notice here how we're judged. This is interesting. We're, we're judged according to our deeds. Why is that? Why, why according to our actions, to, to the things that we've done? Well, it's because our actions really reveal what's um, true of us. Think about it. Words are cheap, but what we do, that really reveals who we are. Reveals what we value, reveals our character, reveals what we truly believe. And even though, even though there are many that profess faith, what we're going to see on that final day, our record of, of what we have done will reveal what is genuinely true about us. And, and all of the books will be similar in one important way. I mean, whether you're, you're Christian, non-Christian, Muslim, Jew, um, every nationality, every faith, the thing that will be the same is that every book will contain detailed records, detailed evidences of our disobedience to God's law, of our lack of faith, of our worship of false things, every book will be packed with instances of sin. Areas where we've turned our backs on God, where we've gone our own way. I mean, again, just think about, just think about this past week. Just think about what's being written in our books. Think about all the instances of selfishness, thoughts that we've entertained, 
thoughts that we've acted upon. Think about uh, areas of lust that we've thought about, that we've acted upon, areas of greed, uh, times we have not trusted God, times we've gone our own way. Think about the things that we haven't done. Think, think about the anxiety that's filled our minds and our heart. Instead of trusting God with it, we've tried to carry it ourselves. Think about all the times when we haven't shown kindness and love to the people around us. I mean, in one week, there'd be page after page, instance after instance of sin. See, on the final day, it's not just that it will be very clear that none of us is perfect. What will be very clear is that there is overwhelming evidence for everyone, every one of us deserves to be condemned for our sin. It, it will be one of those uh, court cases. You know those cases they say it's an open and shut case? So, I mean, all the evidence is presented. The jury goes away. They're there for like two minutes. They come back, guilty. And everyone says, yeah, guilty. We can all tell. The paper's the next day. Justice is served. There's, there's no question. That's the kind of case every one of us has in that courtroom. And the words of God from the book of Romans will ring out will be proven true. Romans 3.23, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Because that's the perfect consequence. The just consequence for all of this wrongdoing. Not just, not just physical death, that's the first death. But the second death. The first death is like a precursor, as horrible that, as that is. I mean, we, we know that death. But the second death is much worse. It's the final and just judgment for our years of criminal activity against God. And we see it in uh, verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What the second death and the lake of fire mean is, is condemnation in hell for everyone who is has sin present in their book under the righteous wrath of God? It, it is the final and just answer that is necessary for there to be justice in the universe. There will indeed be perfect justice on the day of judgment because our God is a God of perfect justice. No wrong will be forgotten. No evil will be unanswered for. But thankfully, thankfully that is not the entire story that will be told. We, we need to see the justice of God it can and should bring peace to us right now. It should help us when we're struggling with those areas where there's wrong and where, where we're struggling. Maybe we want to go and take vengeance. We want to make things right. And what we're told here is, look, we, we can trust God with those things. But the second thing, the second word in terms of what the final judgment means is not just justice, but mercy. Mercy. Because our God is also a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, and self-sacrificing love. And we know that because there isn't just a book about all of our deeds. There's a second book. There's the book of life. Let's take a look at this book in verses 12 and 15. John says, again, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this second book is is not a record of deeds that we've uh, performed or done. It's a register of names. And everyone whose name is in that book isn't condemned for their sins, isn't thrown into the lake of fire. In fact, they are welcomed into heaven, welcomed into the kingdom of God. We see this even more clearly uh, in the next chapter, Revelation 21, verse 27. 
Now, speaking about heaven, it says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, it's a beautiful just glimpse into heaven. In the next few weeks, we're going to look a lot at the new heavens and the new earth. It's wondrous. It's glorious. But, but it's also a bit puzzling, isn't it? It's puzzling because in Revelation 21, it says, Nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But, but isn't that what we just learned that all of us are like? That we have this massive record of, of sin? That we're going to see that every one of us is guilty. Every one of us deserves judgment. But then in Revelation 21, it says that even though that's, that's true of all of humanity, there's somehow a group of people that are so pure and so true and so righteous that they can enter into heaven, into the very presence of God. See, if this was a regular court proceeding, this would be the moment when someone would, would cry injustice. This can't be right. Lawyers would start filing appeals. People would say, look, you've, you've ignored the evidence. You can't let these people go free. How, how can you do that with all the, the record of, of wrong here? How is it possible for a whole life of sin just to be wiped away completely? Well, the answer is the second book. The book of life and, and what it means. In fact, we get more detail about what it means in uh, Revelation 13.8, where it says, everyone will be condemned whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, normally we would say, look, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. But in this case, I think it's a pretty good cover. I think it tells us what we need to know. Look at the title. The book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So the Lamb is Jesus, and he was slain on the cross. Why? For our sins. It's very clear his intention. It's clear that because he died, now our debt has been paid. And so the book of life signifies all those who have faith in Christ, whose, whose consequence has already been taken. The, the legal term for this uh, is expunged. Have you heard that term? Like if someone's convicted of a crime and then they want to get their, their record wiped clean, they want to get it expunged. What that means is that if you were to go and search a database of wherever they do that kind of thing, and you would look up that person's name, there'd be no record there of, of a crime that was committed because it was totally wiped clean. That is what the book of life means. It means that in spite of our record of sin, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the court, we are, we are pure, we are spotless, we are righteous because our sentence has already been served. So here's the picture we should have in our mind's eye when we think of this book, our book. There's a book for each one of us. There's a record of all of our wrong, but there's more to it for those who have faith. See, because for those who have faith, next to each line of sin, like every, every lie, every theft, every false worship, every sin, next to that, there's an annotation. There's written and a stamp which says something like, like canceled, forgiven, redeemed, wiped clean, Another synonym, I ran out of synonyms. There's some way of saying, look, this is now, this is now gone. There, there's, there's stamp after stamp. If you can picture that, that, that page after page of all of our sin, yet all of it is annotated and the ink that it's written in is the blood of Christ. Where every single wrong that we've done in absolute detail, Jesus said, I died for that. I paid for that. 
Do you see the beauty of the scene? The power of the scene is that it points us to the cross of Jesus. We see this, we see this said in such beautiful detail in Romans 5, 8 and 9, where it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, in the end, it's the mercy of God that saves us from the justice of God. That's the wonder of this scene, is that both sides of God's character are on full display. God is the one who enacts perfect justice, and he's the one who gives us abundant mercy. And so there's a, there's a third thing we see on this day of final judgment, not just justice, not just mercy, but also glory. Glory for the God of creation, glory for the God of our redemption. Because the entire first chapter of human history, like Genesis to Revelation, it comes to an ending that is so perfectly satisfying, so wondrous, that it results in just the abundant worship of Jesus. That's what happens on this day. In fact, from this moment into eternity, there is this continual worship of Christ where everyone who has been redeemed floods into the kingdom of heaven and we, we sing and praise Jesus forever and enjoy his presence. In fact, there's a picture of this, kind of a glimpse that John has given earlier in Revelation. Revelation chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. I'm just going to read it. You don't have to turn there. But I just want you to listen to the words. It's kind of like the curtain is pulled back. And John gets a glimpse into the throne room of God, the same throne room where Jesus is sitting on the throne and all around him are angels and angelic beings and, and elders and the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song. Here's what they sing. They sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then John looked, and he heard around the throne living creatures and elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then he heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I mean, that, that's a wondrous scene. That's a wondrous scene that is rooted in the character of Jesus himself that despite all of our wrongs, despite all of the injustice, he gave of himself to the point that we have hope on that final day. I mean, that, that's how things end. Things end with this glorious display of, of the justice of God, the mercy of God, and the power of God. And, and we are to worship him for all of eternity. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's almost like a foretaste of what heaven will be like, of praising Jesus remembering over and over again what he did for us. So I want to I end our time together by asking a question. I think it's the question, really. If, if we look at this text and we understand this accurately, the question we should be asking ourselves is, on that day, what hope do we have? Do we have hope? Do, do we have an answer to give to the court when we, when we stand there and our life is, is exposed? Do we know for sure what will happen on that day? Will we, be, 
Will the doors of heaven be opened wide and us be welcomed in? Or will we be condemned for our sin? Now there's some, I mean, you might say, look, Matt, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I, I'm not really convinced that this is exactly what's going to happen. I mean, I just don't know if I really believe in all of that. I'm, st I'm still working through that, to which I would say, look, that, that's fine. We, we're all entitled to believe what we want. But my question to you would be, are you comfortable with a universe without justice? Is there not a longing in your heart that this would all end with a perfect accounting of right and wrong? And are you not interested in what the Bible has to say about this? Because if you are, then this, this question has only one real answer. I mean, I've, I've asked this a number of times uh, with people I've been working with, and I'll say something like, you know, when you die, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Where do you think you're going to go? Heaven, hell, what do you think? And, and very often the answer is, is, I would say, insufficient. And here's what I mean by that. Very often people will say, well, you know, I, I hope I'm going to heaven. And I would say, yeah, I hope so too. Why do you think God would let you in there? And they'll say, uh, well, you know, I, I've tried to do the best I can, right? I think, I think I'm not bad. There's, there's a hesitancy. There's a, there's a lack of certainty. And all of that, when we look in light of this, this scene, we can see is really no hope at all. If our hope is to point to ourselves, then we have to be honest and say, look, if really there is a, a full revealing of my life, then I don't have any hope. There is only one hope. And, and that is to say this, on that day when we're standing before that throne, we, we can simply say, Jesus, you see my life. You see what I've done. You see what I deserve. But Jesus, but Jesus, you died for me. And you wrote my name in your book. And I plead the cross. And Jesus will say, indeed, I did die for you. And come, come into my presence. Come into my rest. Come into my joy. And we will, we will walk through the gates of heaven, whatever that looks like. That is the only hope because Jesus is the only one who can give an answer for our sin. So listen, I'm not sure where you are at, but, but it's, it's interesting to note that this book was written to Christians. We realize that, right? Revelation is written to the church. That means that for all of us, there are times when either we, we hope in false things, where we ignore our record of wrong, where we think that we're better than we are, whatever it may be, this is a call for us to be honest for us to confess sin rightly. And I would say, it's a call for us to begin worshiping now. What we see going on here in heaven, that this worship of Jesus, this, this final day when there will be so much to praise God for, we have those same truths to praise God for right now. And so why would we not live that way? So look, I would invite you, if thinking about these things, this final day of judgment, if there's, if there's a lack of certainty in your life or your heart, now, I'd love to talk with you more. I'd invite you to you come, talk with me, talk with one of the leaders in the church. We would love to, to help you work through that. And if you have that certainty, then I would say, let's, let's go forth and let's worship God in this way. Let's live in such a way that people would see that regardless of the circumstances of our life, we have peace and we have hope, e even when we're enduring wrong. Because we know who is the God of all things and who will in the end judge each human being perfectly in justice and in mercy. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for the, this picture, this wondrous picture of the end. 
I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have a clear and certain hope despite our sin, despite our wrongs, despite the full record of, of our lives that will be revealed. Lord Jesus, I pray that there will be peace and hope and comfort for each one of us today. Lord, I want to pray specifically for those that are enduring injustice right now. Lord, those who ha- are carrying a heavy weight, whether it be some form of oppression, some, some wrong that is being done to them continually by someone in their life, workplace, wherever it may be. Lord, I pray that you would, you would help them to know, Lord Jesus, that you have, you have placed civic authorities here to help. We, we should prosecute criminals. It's, good, it's a good thing for our society. It's good and right. And yet, where there are limitations for that, there is still an answer, an answer of justice. And that's you, Jesus that we can know for sure that that nothing in our lives will be forgotten, that all wrong will be held to account. And I pray also, Lord, that we'd have peace because we know in spite of our own sin, there's mercy. Jesus, you loved us even when we sinned against you. And so I pray that if we are struggling with sin, struggling with with feelings of, of worthlessness, of guilt, of shame, I pray the gospel would flood us with the reality of your love for us, the reminder of the cross, And Lord, that from that, we would live lives that worship you. That as we step into heaven, we would just continue to do what we've been doing all our lives. Trusting you, worshiping you, Jesus, and telling others about you. We praise you, Jesus, for who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.